This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Today's episode is brought to you by Fox and Stallion. Fox and Stallion is a Victorian mystery comedy fiction podcast about the best detective team on Baker Street. No, not that one. Season 2 will be airing in 2024 and is currently crowdfunding through May 1st. They have stickers, personalized in-universe thank you letters with wax seal, calligraphy, and all of it, and even a tier where they solve a mystery that you send them. Uh, They do want me to note Fox and Stallion cannot guarantee the solving of any mysteries, but they will try their absolute hardest for three to five audio minutes. This show also has everything you could want. Jewel heists, asexual detectives, lavender marriages, and a really old cat. You can find and listen to Fox and Stallion anywhere you listen to podcasts or on their website, 224bbaker.com. That's 224bbaker.com. This episode of Our Fair City is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad. Please enjoy the show. Hello, faithful listeners. This is Eleanor, the Managing Director for Heartlife NFP. This week, we have 2017's Halloween special. This creepy interlude is written by Jim McDaniel, performed by Clayton Fates, and edited by Eli McElvey. But before that, I've got some really great news. Thanks to all of you who committed to become patrons of the show, we have smashed our recent goals. What's a patron, you ask? This show is in large part possible because of our awesome listeners and fans who have pledged to support the show on Patreon. You can pledge a dollar a month, five dollars a month, or, I don't know, a hundred. It's a really great deal. You get access to insider scoops, special character playlists, and other perks, and we get to keep making awesome audio dramas for you. Thanks to everyone who got on board in the last few weeks. As a reward, we have released to all of our patrons three scripts from Andrew Snidge's audio dramas, Adventures in Science, as transcribed by Jim McDaniel. But what about me, you cry? I want to become a patron, but I forgot, and I want to read Andrew slash Jim's brilliant scripts. No worries, you can still be part of this cool thing, and we'd love to have you in the club. So just head over to patreon.com and become a patron. You can still get access to the scripts. And well, frankly, all of the other back catalog of cool stuff we've released. Just don't tell anybody I told you about that. But wait, there's more. We are hard at work on some more Patreon-fueled content. Have you ever wondered what Herbert was up to before arriving in Hartford? Well, us too. So we've assembled four writers to each tell their version of Herbert West's backstory. I'm super excited to share that Jeff Van Driesen and Alexander Danner, creators of the awesome show Greater Boston, are in to write one of these stories. So keep your ears open. That miniseries will be coming in the next few months. Thanks again to everyone who has already become a patron. We seriously couldn't do this without you. And without further ado, happy Halloween. Hey, welcome to Philly Rare Books. 
Are you looking for something in particular or just browsing? Uh, there are two volumes of Gulliver's Travels, first edition, wonderful condition, uh, a 1901 copy of Casey at the Bat, perhaps? Ah, uh, browsing, of course. By chance, are you one of those who has come here to find something with a bit of a story to it? A little salacious, macabre, even? I thought as much. Tis the season. Please, this way. Welcome to our occult collection. Not the meager selection of crystal power and druidic reimaginings you'll find at your local retail chain. These are the real grimoires. Printed first editions, handwritten folios, each with a history and personality all its own. Let's see. Uh, here. The Ordering and Hierarchy of Fairies and Their Courts, 1685, a compendium of lore and taxonomy compiled by an Irish nun living in seclusion on the island of Lettermullen. Note the metal bindings, which can only be unlocked with an iron key. Huh? And here, the way the ink shines. The sister was very particular on how the book was to be printed, insisting that iron filings be mixed in with the ink, lest the fairies see what she had done. Of course, publishers are not fond of expenses, so only a handful were made like this. In its day, it was an Irish bestseller. Everyone had a copy of the ordering or at least knew its stories. I believe that must have been what the sister intended. We can't know for sure. She disappeared shortly after that second printing. There on your right is one of my particular favorites. Not a book in and of itself, but a treatise. A discourse on the heretic Bible, the evils it contains, and the risks of one's soul, by Sebastian Pembroke, 1710. Without this, we would no longer know the contents of the heretic Bible, as all known copies were burned by 1717. This pamphlet is the last in a line of knowledge handed down from book to book and translation to translation. The heretic Bible, the Latin Evangelium in Tertia Vero Infernos, the Greek Idiotheci to Cairo ton Mylon, and so on, back as far as one can find. According to legend, the original text was written in the infernal language and kept by the cult of the fly in the city of Gomorrah. Ah, but I see you only have eyes for one. The jewel of this collection, our oldest and finest grimoire. If you'll excuse me while I put on gloves. This my friend, is the Lassin manuscript. You have heard of Vauquelin Lassin. Ah, no. Then I hope you are in the mood for a ghastly tale. Vauquelin Lassin was a French patriot, knight, alchemist, sorcerer, madman, and murderer. A lieutenant in the army of Jeanne of Arc, he fought alongside her at Orléans and Gargeau and Patay. According to one biographer, he was a warrior priest and fervent follower who truly believed the Maid of Orléans was touched by God, that she was his chosen instrument to cast the English from France. So you can imagine what happened when she was captured and burned at the stake as a heretic. <laughs> 
He had every English prisoner in his possession killed, pressed to death under red-hot weights. Then he denounced his faith in God and traveled east to the Carpathian Mountains to find the legendary Scholomance, the black school of necromancy and magics taught by the devil himself. He is said to have told King Charles, if God cannot defeat the English, then let the devil try. Lassan returned in 1438. He carried with him seven books bound in human flesh. Each represented a year he had spent at the Scholomance. He took up residence in a castle at Tifoge, which was owned by an old army friend of his, a baron of note and wealth, Gidure. Among those who know the story, it is believed that the sorcery and murder Ray was accused of were actually crimes of Lassan. Vauquelin quickly began a campaign of vengeance and terror. The priest prosecutor at Joan's trial was found drowned in the river. When the bishop who presided over her trial died of a heart attack while being shaved, it was Lassan's hand on the blade. Jean's confessor, who spied on her for the court, screamed himself to death, confessing guilt to an entity no one ever saw. The Duke of Somerset committed suicide after weeks of complaining that a bat-winged fiend had haunted his steps. Lassan himself took the field again at the Battle of Castillon to personally kill the English commander John Talbot. All they found of the man was his heart still beating, blood pumping out of a body that was no longer there. There are some who say he is responsible for the War of the Roses and certainly the disappearance of the two young princes. Finally, Henry Tudor sent a small contingent of soldiers and spies to assassinate Lassan. Nine died in combat with the sorcerer, a battle in which many say the earth opened up and revealed the depths of hell itself. At last, though, Lassan was killed, his body cut into pieces and scattered, his head was taken to the Tower of London and placed on a pike, but they removed it three days later when the Tower Ravens began attacking people at the head's command. They tried burying it next, but plagues of rats swarmed up, spreading disease and eating livestock and small children. Finally, they just threw the head into the channel where it floated back to France and was given its own mausoleum in Rheims Cathedral befitting a national hero. Now the real story of Lassan only begins with his death. Four of the seven books from the Scholomance were burned. One was stolen away by the French and survives to this day as a national treasure in the Musée de Archives Nationales. Another is thought to be kept in the Vatican archives, unavailable to public or private viewings. The last, however, was taken by the English as a spoil of war and disappeared for nearly 200 years. In 1665, an English translation appeared in Amsterdam as part of a sale of royal treasures forgotten after the Civil War. This copy of the Lassin book, which according to the sellers had been made by Elizabeth's royal magician John Dee, was bought by Louis XIV's mistress Madame de Montespan as a gift for her favorite fortune teller, La Voisin. Soon after acquiring the book, La Voisin began the Affaire de Poison. Black masses followed. Any who crossed the Affaire found themselves dead or dying of mysterious ailments. It only came to an end when they were caught trying to poison the king himself. After La Voisin's execution, the royal guard searched her possessions, 
but the manuscript was not found. For two centuries, the text passed through the hands of many prominent French occultists. The immortal Count de Saint-Germain bragged about the secrets of La Saint. The Marquis de Sade wrote in letters that he would often peruse its pages for inspiration. Rumors during the terror hinted that Robespierre's cult of the supreme being read aloud from the Black Book of the Devil. And when Jacques Collin de Plancy created his Dictionnaire Infernal, he used an unnamed source as its reference. In 1881, a Rosicurian order appeared in Paris, the Seven-Pointed Star. In official documents, they claimed knowledge passed down by a secret master who appeared only to the seven members of the inner circle during their most sacred rites. No one knows exactly what these rites entailed, but in 1903, after several order initiates were implicated in schemes of mass adoption, the police raided their premises and discovered the Lassalle manuscript in their holy sanctum, along with seven infant skulls sculpted into chalices. What they found in the hollows beneath the building, well, let's just say that no jury was ever willing to convict the gendarme for what they did to the order members. The manuscript was sold at auction by the French government. Many wealthy and influential figures in the occult community attempted to obtain it for themselves and their orders. Alistair Crowley, Samuel and Moina Mathers, Angus Deaglin O'Malley. However, it was the American shipping magnate Conrad Kelly who came away with the prize. He took the Lassan manuscript back to America, where it became a conversation piece among the New York elite, trotted out for parties with a fortune teller in tow. All fun and games, until his eight-year-old stabbed him to death in his sleep. It next appeared in 1935 in the collection of acclaimed film star Weston Tulane. You might have seen some of his pictures, The Sword of Justice, The Round Table Awaits, Duel at Rassam Saloon. Nah, well, many of his movies were banned after he was implicated in the Black Rose murders. I say implicated. They did find all that evidence at his estate, but they never did find him. And in fact, no one remembered seeing him at all during those two weeks of the killer's reign. A fugitive from justice, or perhaps the first Black Rose. We'll probably never know. It changed hands a few times after that before finding its way to the noted skeptic, Dr. Maureen Clancy, founder of the Association of Skeptical Scientists. Her favorite pastime was reading aloud from the book every Halloween to prove its mundanity. She even recorded the sessions. You can find all the audio online, though no one really bothers with any but the last. A bear attack according to the police report, although no bear I know speaks Middle French. I came into possession of the tome 30 years ago, sold by one Mrs. Kelly Foster of Foster Lilly University, just before that accident with the school's bell tower. Good timing, that. And here it has remained, quietly awaiting its next owner, the next chapter in its extensive history. You, perhaps. That <laughs> joke, of course. Uh, you clearly don't have the means to purchase this, but this is what you're after, yes? A glimpse, a peep, to prove to your friends how brave you are, to have a tale of your own to tell at parties or across campfires about the cursed book you dared to hold. Here, take a glove, turn a page.
It's just a book. K.S. Lamal. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. In the year 1889, there was nowhere in the world more exciting than London, England. Three cheers for Inspector Lestrade and the bad boys of Baker Street themselves, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson! Solved by Sherlock Bloody Holmes of 221 B Baker Street. Well, with any luck, we'll get a new brutal murder any day now. God, I wish. It's truly shocking you haven't solved anything in five years. The boys are both out of town for some case about a dog in Dartmoor this weekend. Sincerely, Martha Hudson. London's number two detective team just became number one. Fox and Stallion. Find us on Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr at 224BBaker or on our website 224BBaker.com. It's like they say, big breaks are 90% luck. What's the other 10%? Luck.